We're on to uh, Genesis 39. So I'm going to go ahead and read through it, and we'll come back and, and see what the Lord has for us and go from there. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. And so it was, from the time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house, and all that he had in the field. And thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And now Joseph was a handsome in form and appearance. And in verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work. None of the men were in the house inside, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that uh, he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought us this Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that, I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. And so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. And so it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was one... So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. And then Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, a place where the king's prisoners are confined. And there he was in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So, Genesis 39, kind of a short chapter. Um, Potiphar was an officer of Pharaoh. Um, I don't know how many officers there was, but if you're an officer of Pharaoh, you go see Pharaoh pretty regularly. And uh, he was also a captain of the guard. 
he had a wife, he had slaves and a household of servant, and notice Joseph, and he notices, though, that Joseph is successful. Uh, he says the Lord is with Joseph, and, and, and his master saw that. He saw that the Lord was with him. And um, we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. But in verses 4 through 6, it says, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. Uh, he made him overseer. He had given authority over all, not just little, but all. After seeing how the Lord had blessed him and prospered him, he gave him authority over all of it uh, in his house. And it was blessed. And now Potiphar is blessed. And everything that he has now prospers and is blessed for, for uh, Joseph's sake. Now, um, the bottom line is he leaves Potiphar with no concerns except what's for lunch. It literally says he gave him everything and he didn't have to think about anything that was going on. He didn't even know what was going on in his house. Throughout the day, he comes home and wants to know what's for supper. That's how much he trusted Joseph. Now, it's a real quick application right out of the bat here for us. If you're an employee or if you have a business and you have customers, well, your customers are your boss. They're your master, right? If you have a business that's going to go anywhere anyway. Um, there's a lot here for that. People find out you're a Christian. And they see how you work. And if you serve them as unto the Lord, as, and you know, they begin to realize you're a good worker, and what you're doing is blessed, well, you're, it's blessed, first of all, because the Lord gives you the gifts and the talents he gave you, and, and he begins to prosper you. And um, the, your boss begins to see that. Um, you know, you're working for the Lord, though. You're working not for them necessarily, but as unto the Lord. Um, your employer takes notice, gives you more responsibility, but you're serving them as unto the Lord, not greedily trying to climb the corporate ladder and stepping on whoever you have to to get, get up and pushing people out of the way. You're a servant. You're a Christian. You know, you're serving and doing a good job, doing the best that you can, and as such, you become trusted. You become responsible, and you, you're given more responsibilities. Now, I don't know how things are these days, necessarily, because there's all kinds of abuses out there and there's all kinds of different dynamics in the workplace and, and all, but um, I think it still is true, and I think we'll, we'll be able to study that a little bit here, but uh, the Lord will bless you as you're doing things unto him, as unto him, rather than trying to be seen, you know, you know, hurry up, look busy, here comes the boss type of attitude, and as soon as he's down the road, well, you sit down, take a break. Um, your goal as a servant is to relieve your master, your employer, or your customers of any concerns so that, you know, he can just, okay, everything's said here because I got, you know, uh, my guy working on it and I can trust him because he's, you know, he's a believer and he acts like it. Uh, they recognize your walk. And, uh, you know, sometimes maybe even to the point like Potiphar where they can trust you. Your employer can trust you just about anywhere in his company, anywhere in his business, because he knows your character. He knows who you are and all. Um, you know, Jesus said, my burden is light, uh, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, because he enables us and strengthens us, right, to do the things that we got to do. And it doesn't mean that we can be lazy and just, you know, blow things off because the Lord said, hey, his burden's easy, his burden's light, I'm going to take it easy. Well, no, what he does is gives you the strength to, to get the job done. 
and to be a faithful servant. Uh, if you want to go to First Peter chapter 2, we got such a good example in Joseph. And just one verse, uh, verse, well, let's do 11 and 12. Just uh, as Peter's, Peter's exhorting um, the, the church that he's writing to, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. But it says, Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that, they, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. You might get a lot of abuse now for being a believer and all. But, you know, when the Lord comes and they want to say, oh, yeah, look at, you know, so-and-so. He said he was a Christian. No, they'll be glorifying God because they will know and they'll look back and be able to see this is what he did. In Matthew 5, if you want to go there, it really boils down to letting your light shine. What's inside of you is the Lord. What's inside of you is a light. He said, don't put it under the bushel. Let it shine. In verses 13 through 16, he talks about we are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is it then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And he says, so let your uh, light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So let your light shine. In this manner, he says, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, you know, we have to be out there yelling and, and shouting and everything's got to be, we got to spread the light on every subject that's out there and make sure everybody knows that there's a truth about this or a truth about that. He just says, in such a way that they will watch you work and they will glorify God by how they see you work. Um, it's just an example for us. So they can see God is with you. Because you say you're a Christian, yeah, but because you act like a Christian and you work like one, uh, he, he, uh, they see that God is with you, and just like God was with Joseph. Now, Potiphar gave Joseph all of his possessions, gave him charge over all of his possessions. Like your employer could trust you and enter part of his property, he knows you walk before God, and you would not bring any cause for any concern. Now, you know, he... I know a brother, actually, at a time that, um, way early on in our, in our time here at Calvary, some years ago, he worked for one, a real well-known, famous family in, in the valley here and all, but he was just an employee, but he was a good servant. He was walking with the Lord. He was just a mild-mannered guy, he didn't barely say much of nothing, but he was given charge over big parts of this guy's business. He eventually became his own personal pilot for his own personal family. And all, and all he ever wanted to do was serve as unto the Lord. That was his calling. That's what he was given the strength and the ability to do. And he, the Lord gave him responsibilities for it. And here this, this family trusted him and all. Now we have Jesus as our example. If you want to turn to Philippians 2, who humbled himself to become a great, to become a servant 
in 2 verses 1 through 15, he's really our example. Therefore, if any consolation in Christ, if any comfort, comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy will fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of mind. Those things are so important. But here he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. In other words, you're not trying to step on people to get ahead. Or conceited, in other words, thinking yourself more highly than you really ought to. But in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, in other words, he was God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He was with the Father from all eternity. Um, you know, and yet he made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, you know, becoming man who he created, um, and uh, entering in uh, this earth as a man, as a little baby. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore God also has, has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that funny? The people can't explain why is it they have to take his name in vain. They never, you know, say, ah, Buddha, or ah, Krishna, or whatever. Or, you know, yet they don't believe, they're atheists, and they use that name. It, it's just... Uh, the enemy is desiring to draw as many as away, but the day will come that every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There it is again. You're a light. But notice it, verse 13. Is this by your own strength? Is this by your own striving and, and you know, groaning and forcing yourself to do things that are just beyond your own abilities? It's both him, he works not only the strength and the, but the will, just even the will. Ask him, you know, just ask him. He'll give you the will to do the things that are right. You struggle, I struggle, you guys are fine, I'm sure, but I struggle with that, you know, just the will to do the things I know I'm supposed to do. I just, you know, I, I don't want to do that. Well, you know, you pray about it, and all of a sudden you see yourself, uh, just surrendering to the fact that he's got you. He's going to cover you through this thing. And he's going to give you the strength to do it. Both to, he works in us. Both to will it and to do. And it's all for his good pleasure. It's pleasing to him. Here we are servants. And we have the ability to serve almighty God. And he gives us, he gave Jesus all things. All his possessions. 
He has given Jesus the, the rule and authority over it. Even the judging. It says the Lord will judge nothing. He, the Father will judge nothing. He gave to Jesus uh, all that, including the judging uh, when the time comes. And here we are serving that, that loving God. So um, notice it is him who does that work. And, you know, that's, that's why they're going to give him all the glory, too. I mean, if you're the one that's doing all the striving and looky me, I just did all this and that, and because I worked so hard and I put in the extra hours and I went to school and I did what I had to do, nothing wrong with that. But who gets the glory? You know, if, if you're the one that's bringing in all that uh, striving and, and that's all they're seeing is how hard you're working rather than, than that you're giving God the glory for it and you're doing it in his strength and he's blessing you and they see things that only God could do. And that's your testimony things that only God could do in your life. We make mistakes, but that doesn't make us want to quit because he picks us up in his grace and his mercy. That's also a lesson for the world that sees us when we make mistakes because we probably all made mistakes in front of our co-workers or in front of our bosses or our, our employees or, or customers or, or family, uh, friends, neighborhood. We've all made our mistakes, but he picks us up cleans us off and we can testify we can say you know what yeah but God he cleaned me up he picked me up he had mercy on me he forgave my sins they're cast as far as east is from the west and that's the truth and testimony for you too you know your, your, your sins all of your sins are forgiven and can be washed away if you give your life to Jesus we tell them and so that's the even, the, even when we fall and he has to pick us up he sends us back out there without discouragement because we have that message. And they might say, yeah, but you did this. And you can say, yeah, but he forgave me and I'm not planning to do that again. And, uh, you know, that's a testimony. Verses 7 through 9 back in Genesis. Potiphar's wife. What is said about her? Well, you know, he was handsome, it says. And so she cast longing eyes. And she says, lie with me. But look at what Joseph answers. Potiphar trusts him to the point that he doesn't even know what's going on in his house, he says to her. Potiphar has committed all he has into my hand, Joseph says to her. No one is greater in Potiphar's house. He has not kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. But the adultery, he says, you know, that would be sin against God. You'd think, well, wait a minute, what about Potiphar? Isn't he the one that's getting, you know, uh, cheated on here? Not in Joseph's eyes, because he's doing as unto the Lord. Therefore, he's not going to commit this adultery because he's, going, he's walking before the Lord. And he tells that to her. You know, Joseph reminds her of what she should be concerned about. She should be concerned about her husband, Potiphar, and what he's all established in this household. That's your concern there. Mrs. Potiphar, and you know, your, your, I'm, I'm, my concern is that I'm walking before God. I'm not going to do this sin against God, and it's sin. Well, she clearly has no regard for God because, uh, you know, she, um, you know, well, we'll see in verse 10 as we go, but, you know, as unto the Lord, all that we do should be as unto the Lord. I mean, so much. I mean, we... Think of the most difficult things that we're given to do in scriptures, and just in marriage or just in, in, like we're talking about work here. We're talking about 
talking to people about the Lord, which is hard for most of us. Some have the gift of evangelism, and it takes courage, but it's difficult until we realize we're doing it as unto the Lord. We're not doing it to necessarily be liked or to have a response from somebody that we're talking to uh, other than to see what God's going to do in their lives. Um, so uh, even to the point, Jesus would say that when we pray, you know, we shouldn't do these things in front of men to be seen by men in order to have those accolades and get credit for ourselves. All that we do is completely open before the Lord. He sees everything. And Jesus says, you know, even to the point when you pray, we should go into a closet rather than stand out as some holy and righteous and religious person does because he sees our Heavenly Father sees in secret. And he'll reward us openly. But it's, it's where we can know that even the most intimate thing with the Lord is, is to be done just between us, between the Lord and me, between the Lord and you, just between um, him and us. Nothing's hidden from him. All is laid bare before him. He sees everything in secret. Well, she clearly has no regard for God whatsoever. Um, if you look at verses 10 through 16, and in fact, she has no regard for her husband either. Clearly, there's something going on there that's a little bit mixed up in their marriage. Um, verses 10 through 16, you know, she spoke to him day by day. He didn't heed her. He didn't want to be around her, it says in verse 10. But it happened about this time, he took and went into the house just to do his work. He's going, he has to go there. He's doing his work and taking care of business. This time, there's none of the men in the house. And so she caught him by his garment and saying, lie with me. But he takes off and, and just, you know, it's such a good response. And to, to have in your heart and mind that holy fear, if you will, that even that situation that gets too close to crossing that line, who cares how it looks? Get out of there. You know, what does Paul say to Timothy? Flee youthful lusts. You know, you don't want to stick around and explain yourself. You just want to get out of there. You're not going to try and witness to somebody who's trying to drag you into that situation. You're going to want to say, sorry, I'm out of here. The more you uh, hang out, the more permission you're giving them to keep on going. And um, so, you know, daily trying to catch Joseph in any weakness. She's blinded by her own wickedness. Uh, verse 6 says, casting long, longing eyes. And what that basically means in the King James, I don't think the word longing is there. It just says cast eyes. But what it means is would not stop looking. She just couldn't scrape from her face that she wanted Joseph. And there's nothing she was going to, you know, nothing's going to stop her. She's already unfaithful to her husband at that point. Here she is looking and waiting for an opportunity. And she wants to take Joseph with her now. <clears throat> And that's what is known as that pernicious wickedness. It's not enough to just sin. You've got to drag people with you. And uh, like the Sodomites, when they were groping at Lot's door, so blinded, even they get blinded, and they still wander around trying to find their way, completely, completely given over to that. And she won't take, <clears throat> she won't take no for an answer. And he would not heed her, didn't even want to be around her like we saw in verse 10. And then she makes her move. Only this time he escapes, but he leaves behind his robe. She has evidence. In verses 17 through 20, now she goes and waits for, you know, tells all the men that are there. And <clears throat> it's funny how uh, 
She's starting to blame Potiphar for even bringing this guy around. So she realizes that, you know, Joseph knows the truth. And, uh, but she's wanting to, um, you know, make Potiphar feel a little bit of this responsibility for what happened, for even allowing him to have such a, a role in their house. And so she spoke words like these, seems to accuse Potiphar even, you brought this Hebrew to us, your servant did this to me. And these are false accusations, plain and simple. Um, How did Joseph handle it? Well, he was silent uh, because he knows what his behavior is and was. And he knows that God knows what his behavior is and was. And so how do we handle false accusations? Witness lies, exaggerations about us. Oh yes, and exaggerations is a lie. Because if I'm giving you change back for your $5 bill, for that gallon of milk, okay, maybe it's a $10 bill, then, you know, you're going to want the exact change. If I, if I exaggerate what the price was, well, that's not, that's a lie, right? Any exaggeration is a lie. So when people, you know, accuse us or, um, you know, falsely, and all. How did Joseph handle it? Well, he was silent. And he knows, again, what the Lord knows. First, first thing is, know who is behind this. Um, if you, uh, I didn't want to have you turn there, but Revelation twelve ten. if you want to write it down, at the end of judgment, the Lord judges Satan. And, um, you know, he, he calls him by exactly what he is. He's that deceiver. He's that accuser of the brethren. When accusations, false accusations are being thrown out there, or exaggerations, or things, uh, lies, you know, it's the devil who's behind all that. Therefore, the person bringing these things against you is just a tool of Satan, these false accusations. Now, if someone who claims to be a believer is doing this, well, then they're either ignorant about the Word of God, or uh, they're not being led by the Spirit of God if you know, if they're going to be serving the devil like this. And now remember, I'm talking about false accusations. You know, if a brother sees a brother in sin, you know, go to that brother. Um, We often see immaturity. Just anybody who knows me, there's times when I have to have some witty remark, and it usually ends up being just not edifying. I don't know how to explain it any better. But there's times when when there's immaturity, and we all are in a a family of believers, and some of them are brand new believers, and they're growing and learning and all, and some of us have been around a while, and we still make our mistakes. But open sin, walking in sin, you know, and you see a brother go to him, you know, we don't often really see that, to be honest. You know, somebody who is walking in it, somebody who's just living in complete sin and wants to, and is hanging out here, wants to be a, known as a believer and wants to have fellowship and, and everything with us. But you know what? I think the Lord sees to it that more than one person sees that. You know, you don't have to necessarily go start gossiping around and telling everybody. All you need to do is go to him. And, you know, if he doesn't want to hear you, then maybe go to the elders in the church and maybe they've heard from another person that they heard about this same thing. Well, then there's your two or three witnesses, right? Um, so know, first of all, that we're talking about false accusations here. And, you know, Jesus built that in to the word. He says, let everything be established with two or three witnesses. If there's an accusation against a brother, 
Don't even entertain it if somebody's telling you unless there's another witness that's involved with it. But these false accusations, these lies, I just looked up a few Proverbs. Um, Proverbs 6.19, it goes with that list of six things we talked about last week, a false witness, six things that the Lord hates. And verse 19 is a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. The Lord hates that. Proverbs 12.17, he he that speaks truth shows forth righteousness, but a false witness shows forth deceit. Proverbs 14.5, a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. Proverbs 19.5, a false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaks lies shall not escape. So give it time. Proverbs 19.9, a false witness shall not be unpunished. He that speaks lies shall perish. That was a rerun. Um, Verse 21, 28, a false witness shall perish, but the man that heareth speaks constantly. In other words, um, if you hear this type of a testimony, the first thing you got to do is go tell everybody. You know, but the false witness, he's going to perish. Proverbs 25, 18, a man that bears false witness against his neighbor, neighbor is a maul, like a hammer, and a sword, and a sharp arrow. In other words, they're just looking to do harm. Um, now, the second thing we should know about this thing this uh, is what we talked about a little bit is that the Lord has established when it comes to any, any accusation that there should be two or three witnesses. And obviously two or three that do not have the opportunity and aren't looking to just conspire together and corroborate against somebody to make their narrative and bring you know this false you know, witness or this, this accusation, you know, it's people that obviously didn't realize anybody else knew and they just came forward. So the Lord provides all that. But, you know, we're talking about accusations tonight with Potiphar's wife. And so we got to, we got to chew on the subject a little bit. Thirdly, look how Joseph remained silent and did not defend himself. Look at Mark chapter 15. And at the end of the study tonight, there's something I could have started when we were in chapter 37 with uh, Joseph. And I neglected to do that. But when we get to the end of the study, we're going to look at all the parallels um, between Joseph and our Lord, um, the life of Joseph. But Mark 15, 1 through 9, immediately in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, oh, one through five, yeah, not 15. So uh, then Pilate asked him, you are the king of the Jews, or I should say, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, it is that you say. You know, he's not going to hold his silence then because he's asking him who he is, and, and he is indeed the king of the Jews. And the chief priests accused him of many things, But he answered nothing. Then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing. And notice, Pilate marveled. You know, he had to answer that he was king of the Jews, but the rest, he was silent. And um, he also said, Jesus said that the servant is not above his master. You know, the time's going to be coming, I think, if it hasn't already for all of us, or any of us, that these things are going to happen. Um, 
Jesus said that if we're going to follow him, if we're going to live godly lives, there will be persecution. You already probably know it just by uh, repenting from your sins and all your friends are going, what are you doing? Do I got to do that now? You know, get out of my life. Leave me alone. I'm not going to be around you. You're, you're being holier than thou. You begin to suffer persecution. But it's getting more and more so. Now you want to tell people in society what's right and what's wrong, what's sin and what's not. You can go down to the farm market on a Saturday morning and you'll see the Planned Parenthood pastor that goes down there who's a clergy for abortion. What are you going to say to that guy, you know? And uh, when you do, be ready for persecution. And um, he's ready with all the answers. He heard it all before. He didn't want to talk on the points of the Lord. He wants to talk on, on the, the society and what's right and whose rights are what and, and all of that. And, and so if you're going to do it, be ready, I would say, but also be ready for persecution. And that's going to come. It's not far away where people, we already see it, just people who are even in politics and they're trying to do things the right way are being, you know, threatened. They're having protesters show up outside their houses and people are getting shot at. Um, witnesses are being, you know, disappearing in things that are going to come out and tell the truth. And so expect persecution if you're going to live a godly life is what he says. But the servant is not above the master. When it comes even to false accusations, they accused him. They're going to accuse you. In other words, when we refuse to compromise, uh, like you know Joseph refused to compromise with Potiphar's wife, and when they try to bring us into sin like that, and uh, you know we have to say, well, I'm not going to sin against God. Uh, you know, then it's going to be, you know, persecution, but it's going to be a blessing because we're going to now know that we are suffering as Jesus suffered. We're being persecuted as he was persecuted. You know, the disciples, when they would get stoned and thrown out of town and thrown in prison, they would sing hymns rejoicing, knowing that they are suffering the way that Jesus suffered. You know, and, and uh, it is a, you know, it's not a feather in your cap, but it's, it's a joy to know that, that we have great reward with the Lord uh, because when, you know, when he comes and, We'll be like him, and he'll bring with him his rewards for all that we endured and all that we did for him. It's for his name's sake that we get persecuted and many times accused falsely. Well, Potiphar is angry. He sends Joseph to jail. Um, Potiphar, the name means belonging to the son, for what it's worth. But he's an officer of Pharaoh. Now, what that means is when you're the captain of the guard or if you're the main guy, you are an executioner and you oversee those that are executioners because you're the captain of the guard. If somebody messes with Pharaoh, you take him out, you throw him in prison, and the Pharaoh says, well, you're the one that's going to make sure that gets done. So here's Potiphar. He is an officer. He sees Pharaoh's face on a regular basis, and he comes home. And his wife is screaming because you went and, you know, according to her, you attempted to rape her. And so here she is holding your jacket. Well, he gets angry. And, you know, he could have just as quick just lopped off his head right then and there and all. But I think Potiphar, you know, she's accusing him of bringing him in there in the first place. She's already unfaithful to him by going after Joseph in the first place. He's probably not altogether ignorant of what type of gal this is. 
And so he uh, doesn't kill him. A little bit of favor still being shown. He sends him off to prison. He could have had him executed on the spot. But it sure seems like their marriage was a little off. And, you know, if he knew her at all, maybe he's not even certain any of what she's saying is true. You know, but, uh, you know, she was even accusing him, right, for bringing Joseph around. It's funny how such a passionate desire that she had, just like that, turns into a, uh, you know, murderous hatred. Just like that. Now she wants, you know, get him out of here. She's, she's accusing him and to her husband that she knows could take care of business if he had to. But again, Potiphar still grants Joseph favor, and rather than killing him, just sends him to prison. Now, so Joseph goes from the highest position in a house of an officer of Pharaoh. So he's probably one of the top hundred, you know, most important people in, in all of Egypt. Uh, you know, um, and so um, he goes from there to prison, from the highest part of this household right to a jail cell. That's how fast things can change and go from the, the nicest of situations to the worst of situations. But in verse 21 through 23, you know, in Genesis 39, you know, he, he takes them, throws them in jail where all the king's prisoners are confined. So it's not even just a dungeon or the worst of it, but uh, he, he puts them in a little nicer area of prison, if you can imagine. And uh, the Lord was with Joseph still in verse 21. Shows him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And here now the keeper of the prison doesn't have to give a thought about anything that goes on in the prison. Joseph's handling everything. All he needs to do is figure out what's for supper, just like Potiphar. And that's the favor. That's the, the, the responsibilities that were given to Joseph and put under his authority because the Lord was with him. Because whatever he did, the Lord made it to prosper, it says. Um, you know, given all authority, so that that keeper, once again, has no worries. You know, the whole reason he serves is to take away all the worries of his boss. Um, now, God is with us, just like he was with Joseph. In fact, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. In fact, he will never leave us nor forsake us. God is with us. And, you know, even though that he's, not, he's not against us, even though sometimes it may seem in this life that God is against us. But, again, we talked about in this world, we'll have tribulations. But be of good cheer in tribulations because he's overcome the world. You know, if you want to turn one last place to Romans 8, and you're probably mostly familiar with this. If you're not, it's a great passage, you know, if you're struggling, if you're in the middle of trials, tribulations, and you're trying and you're crying out to the Lord and you haven't marked this chapter in your Bible, please do. Because this is one of the most comforting, the most reassuring, the most encouraging passages in Scripture for a believer who's trusting the Lord. And just three verses or four verses, 28 through 31, it says, we know that all things... Even the kind of stuff we're reading about happened to Joseph. Work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. 
For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these things he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. And what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is with us, you know, in First John, we've been there many times. First John chapter 1 is such another rich chapter for us. Um, verse 3, it says, we are in fellowship with God. God is with us. God is in us. And we are in fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. Now, the life of Joseph, and on the, on the table in the welcome hall or welcome center there, I put a bunch of these out there. It's, you'll see them out there. They've um, they got a little green. You'll recognize them when you see them on the table. But it is a phenomenon of amazing detail in Scripture that the life of Joseph parallels. And like I said, I missed this, or I neglected to do this back in chapter 37. But just starting in chapter 37, the things, the parallels. Joseph was a shepherd in 37.2. Jesus is the good shepherd, John 10, 11. Joseph was the beloved of his father, 37, 3. And Jesus is the beloved of the father, Matthew 3, 17. Lived with his father in honor before going down to, G, uh, to Egypt. Well, Jesus lived with God before coming to earth, John 1. Joseph was hated by his brothers because, first of all, Jacob's special love for him and because of his words, remember, in, in uh, 37, 4, 5, and 8. Jesus was hated by his brothers, John 15, Luke, because, you know, God's love for him. He called God his Father. I and the Father are one. And then also he's hated for his words. Jesus was in John 7 and 7, 8. And... Um, the fifth one they have here is Jesus foretold of his future sovereignty. I'm sorry, Joseph foretold his, of his future sovereignty in 37. And uh, Jesus did the same when he talked about being coming back in glory. And Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers to see about their welfare. And Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel by his father and to save the world in uh, John 4 and John 3. Um, now in verses, uh, Joseph's brothers plotted against him. Uh, his brothers plotted to kill Joseph in 37, 18 through 20. The Jews also plotted to kill Christ, Matthew 12, uh, 12 14, and 26. Joseph's brothers did not believe his dreams, and Jesus' brethren did not believe his words. Joseph's brothers teased Joseph, the dreamer, you know, called him master of dreams. Jews teased Jesus by driving, or um, he, they, Jews teased Jesus driving out demons by Beelzebub. In other words, when they called him, you know, that, they, that he uh, drove them out by demons. And, and that's when the Lord went into talking about the don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, who was the one who actually had done that. And uh, now, the next one is Reuben had a plan to save Joseph. Well, Pilate had a plan to offer Barabbas instead. Joseph was stripped of his coat. Jesus was stripped of his coat, 
covered with a scarlet robe. Now, uh, Joseph, they, they don't mention this one, but you know, he had a coat of many colors. It was special and all. And Jesus, his gown was without seam. Remember, instead of tearing it up and throwing it away, the soldiers gambled for it because it was worth something. His brothers, while eating, intended to slay Joseph. But the Jews, while eating Passover feast, desired that Jesus be killed. Joseph was sold into Egypt at the proposal of Judah. Jesus was betrayed, uh, was betrayed and handed over to the Jews by Judas, both for a bunch of silver. Uh, was 20 pieces by Judah and 30 pieces by, by Judas. Might have been inflation, I don't know. Joseph had taken out the pit, was taken out of the pit, alive in his body. Jesus raised from the tomb and with his new body, 1 Corinthians 15. Joseph was sold for a price of redemption, and Jesus was sold 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave. Joseph's blood was sprinkled on that coat, that multicolored coat, and that was presented to his father. Jesus, our scapegoat, and his blood was presented to the Father as a sin offering for our sins. And now in chapter 39, Joseph became a servant. Jesus became a servant. Joseph was a, Joseph was a prosperous servant. Jesus also prosperous servant. Isaiah 52, 53, talk about that. Joseph's master was well pleased with him. The Heavenly Father was well pleased with what Jesus did. And then the temptation. Joseph was sorely tempted by Potiphar's wife and did not sin. Jesus was tempted and did not sin. Matthew 4 and Hebrews 2 and 4. Joseph was falsely accused. Well, Jesus, we read that, was falsely accused as well. And Joseph attempt, attempted no defense. He was silent. Jesus gave no defense in, at his trials. And Joseph was cast into prison, though he was innocent. Jesus was sentenced to death through Pilate, found no, or though Pilate found no fault in him, even though he was innocent. Joseph was jailed with prisoners. Jesus was crucified with a criminal on each side of him. Joseph won the respect of the chief jailer. And Jesus won the respect of that, soul, that Roman centurion, that was standing outside the cross. Remember, he says, truly, this is the Son of God. Well, that's just chapter 39, and there's more. I'll let you get them on your way out at the table there, and you can have them, um, keep them. Uh, there's more in chapter 40. There's a total of 60 that they put together in this, and we just went through 25 of them. But it is a phenomenon of amazing detail, what did Jesus say about the Bible? He says, the volume of the book speaks of me, testifies. All things will be fulfilled to the, jotting of the, to the dotting of the I and the jotting of the T. You know, um, every little or crossing of the T. So he'll, he'll bring it to pass, everything. And we talked about it, you know, a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> Even Israel came back in the land. It took 1,900 years and... That prophecy was there the whole time, and very few continued to believe it. Most people had to figure out an answer for themselves, but, you know, being patient until the Lord brought it to pass, bringing Israel back in the land, being patient to see what he's going to do and working in our lives. So in um, that day that he's going to come for us, what a glorious day, right? 
Well, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do, uh, well, words fall short, and, you know, sometimes it just seems that we'd have nothing to say that's going to match anything that you do. And what could we say, Lord, except thank you? And uh, we're just so grateful that you've chosen us and uh, called us to be here and to be in your body of believers and um, in this world that throughout the world there are so many who've called on you and there are brothers and our sisters and uh, so many of them are suffering great persecution so many of them are in the midst of wars going on right now and, and uh, losing their lives and watching their loved ones lose their lives please keep us sober minded about our lives here and, and keep us uh, just in preparation mode for you to come for us keeping us watching and waiting and, and keeping our lamps full and being lights in this world. And we just ask that you'd continue to work all these things in us because as soon as we get to see you, Lord, we'll just know how everything else we seem to be worried about was really a waste of time. We just want to look to you and look for your coming, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.